You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's now open our Bibles together to our scripture readings, both from the letter to the Romans. First of all, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 to 31. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where, then, is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Then we go a couple chapters further to Romans chapter 8. And here we'll read verses 1 to 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, 
who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. May God bless the reading of his word for us. Let's now read the text for the sermon this morning, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Beloved congregation of Jesus Christ, every time fall comes around, we begin another season of home visits. It's an important part of life in a Reformed church. However, this practice is often under pressure. For instance, we hear of other Reformed churches which have done away with home visits. So why do we keep doing them? Is this really necessary? Well, the most basic thing about being Reformed is that we keep going back to the Bible. The Scriptures are what shape our church life. When he left Ephesus, the Apostle Paul looked back on the work that he had done among the believers there. And in Acts 20.20, we hear him saying, You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. The Apostle made it his practice to visit the sheep in their homes. And this pastoral practice has been passed down through the generations up until today. 
In 1 Peter 5, verse 2, the Apostle Peter appeals to his fellow elders. He says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. Elders, these men, are shepherds, appointed by Christ, the great shepherd. And they are to lovingly watch over the sheep. The elders are responsible for the spiritual health of the sheep. It's their calling to ensure that the sheep are growing in Christ. It's their calling to encourage the sheep in the gospel. The pastoral task of the elders means that each and every sheep in the flock receives individual attention. A good shepherd will go after those who are straying from the safety of the sheepfold. He'll comfort and encourage those who are hurting and struggling. He'll guard and protect the flock against all danger. He wants to make sure that the lambs too, the little lambs, are growing. That they are being led to green pastures. And in all of this, he'll be following the example of the great shepherd, Christ Jesus. Home visits bring oversight and they bring accountability into our walk with the Lord. And the culture around us, for the most part, disdains any sort of accountability. And when it comes to something as personal as one's faith, well, that's definitely out of bounds. People say you have no right to go into that. But brothers and sisters, here God's word is radically countercultural. God says we need accountability. And he's provided that for us in a number of ways, one of which are the elders, the leaders of the church. Hebrews 13:17 says, "Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you." The elders of the church have been appointed by Christ to watch over you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. And when you gladly and you willingly receive their oversight, The writer to the Hebrews says that will be of benefit to you. By God's grace, it will be an advantage. It will be a blessing. But now you're probably thinking, what does all that have to do with Romans 12, 1 and 2? Well, the theme for this year's home visit season is daily repentance or conversion. And that ties in with what we find in verse 2 regarding the renewal of our minds. As the elders visit with you in the months ahead, they'll likely be reading these verses with you and exploring how these scriptural truths take shape in your life. And this morning, we're going to take a close look, not only at verse 2, but also at verse 1. And we'll consider the truths that God has revealed here for us. Our theme is, the gospel mercies of God lead us to be living sacrifices. And we'll see that these living sacrifices are grounded in the gospel, include the renewal of our minds, and result, finally, in discerning the will of God. Well, these verses, they mark a turning point in the book of Romans. In the first 11 chapters, Paul has outlined the depth and the riches of God's grace in Jesus Christ. He began, especially in the the first three chapters, with an expose of man's sin and misery, our great need. But then he moved on 
to the gospel. And we saw that in what we read from Romans 3. The good news of how sinners can be declared right with God. At certain points, he's also dealt with how these things affect our daily walk of life. How they impact our daily increase in holiness. What we call our sanctification. But now at chapter 12, he comes to write more explicitly about the practical implications of the fact that we have been saved by God's grace in Christ. And as we look at these words of our text, we have to have one thing firmly fixed in our hearts and in our minds. And that one thing that we need is the gospel. The gospel forms the basis the foundation of Paul's appeal here. He says, in view of God's mercy, because of God's compassion, God's undeserved favor for sinners. It's this mercy, which Paul has been writing about for the first 11 chapters, which led him to that doxology at the end of chapter 11, which was our call to worship this morning. Let's not take those five precious words for granted. In view of God's mercy. Because the gospel is contained in those words. It's the gospel, the good news that's in Romans 3. Though all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, there is, Paul says, a righteousness from God that comes through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. We are justified. We're declared right with God. Freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And that brings us to that wonderful opening line of Romans 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Loved ones, those words may be so familiar to you. You've heard them so many times. Maybe they've lost their sweetness. Consider them again. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know what that means? Looking to Christ in faith. God is not your judge who will condemn you. Instead, He's your Father who accepts you and who loves you. Looking to Christ in faith. God is not your enemy who will destroy you, but your refuge, who sets up high walls around you to protect you. Looking to Christ, we hear Him say, we hear our Lord Jesus say, as He did to His disciples out on the lake, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. That's what we mean when we speak about God's gospel mercies. God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Why? So that we could be His children. So that we could be taken into His family. This is the the good news which we need. And in view of these awesome gospel truths, Paul issues his appeal to offer living sacrifices. Now, to to understand this appeal, we we have to briefly look back at the Old Testament. The sacrifices offered in the Old Testament 
the Old Testament period, they were mostly bloody offerings of dead animals. Though there were a few sacrifices which didn't involve blood, you can think here of the grain offerings, most of them, however, did. Particularly those that had to do with sin. Those that had to do with guilt. According to Hebrews 9.22, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22. In the New Testament, Christ comes. And He offers Himself as the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. He's fulfilled all the Old Testament sacrifices for sin so that those sacrifices are now obsolete. Unnecessary. But, there is one sacrifice from the Old Testament that remains in the New Testament. And this is the sacrifice which Paul is speaking about here in Romans. It's the thank offering. The living sacrifice described here is the sacrifice of thankfulness. Most of the Old Testament sacrifices were bloody and dead. The sacrifice of thankfulness that remains in the New Testament is bloodless. And it is alive through Jesus Christ. We've been so richly blessed with the gospel. And if we're gripped with that, we can't help but be filled with love for God. We can't help but be filled with gratitude towards God. And that love and gratitude is going to be expressed through the living sacrifice of our bodies. What Paul calls our spiritual act of worship. And when Paul says that our bodies are to be these living sacrifices, he's not just referring to what's physical, to our flesh and blood. Now that's included. Of course it is. That's not the only thing. In fact, it refers to everything about us, our entire being. When we have in view God's gospel mercies, when we're gripped, when we're impressed by those, we will offer everything we are to God's service, holding nothing back. Paul says that such living sacrifices will be holy and pleasing to God. They'll be holy. They'll be set apart for Him, unmixed with any worldliness. And this will give pleasure to our Father. And these words challenge us to reflect on our lifestyle. Are we offering our bodies, our entire lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God? Is everything about us dedicated to His service, a spiritual act of worship? When we have God's gospel mercies in view, what does that do? To us, What does that do to how we are relating to God? Those are questions that we, that we all need to reflect on, and even more so as we consider in more detail what these living sacrifices look like in verse 2. Paul begins there with the negative command, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Being a living sacrifice means that you don't do certain things. And this is one of them. 
not being conformed to the pattern of this world, is connected to the call for believers to be holy. That means that believers are distinguishable from the world of unbelief. You can tell a believer is different in the way that he or she speaks and thinks and acts. You can tell a believer is different in the way that he or she relates to other people. You can tell a believer is different in the way they carry themselves and the way they dress and the entertainment choices they make. And we could go on and on. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But to put it concretely, you don't want unbelievers around you to say things like, I would have never guessed that you're a Christian. If you're hearing things like that, it could very well be that you are conforming more to the pattern of the world of unbelief. To you and to all of us, to me, Paul says, be a nonconformist when it comes to the world. Don't fit in. And then he adds the positive side with the words, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And those are the key words for our home visit theme for this year. And so we're going to spend a little bit of extra time just on these words. And as I already hinted, there's a contrast here between being conformed to the pattern of this world and being transformed by the renewal of our minds. You could say the contrast is between unholiness and holiness, or between the old nature and the new nature, or between man in sin and man in Christ. There's this antithesis going on. This is a call to live in Christ, to live out of our new nature, to live in holiness. And note something interesting here. It says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It doesn't say transform yourself, but be transformed. Be transformed. The verb is in the passive voice, but yet it still comes across as a command. What that communicates is that there's something going on here where we're doing something, and we're, we have to do something, but yet in the final analysis, it's not us. This transformation by the renewal of our minds is ultimately being done to us, being done by someone else. That someone else is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who works this transformation described here in Romans 12. The word for transformation there, be transformed, It's related to our English word, metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is a change that happens. For instance, when a a caterpillar wraps itself in a cocoon, and then later on emerges as a butterfly, we call that metamorphosis. And this transformation, this metamorphosis, is a process. Just like a caterpillar doesn't change instantly into a butterfly, so also the spiritual transformation described here doesn't take place instantly. Instead, it's a process. In fact, we could say that it's something that's taking place every day in the lives of believers. 
more and more we are dying to what's left of our old nature and living out of the new nature in Christ. We are becoming what we are in Him. And the Holy Spirit, He is the one who is working in this process. He is the one renewing our minds. Our minds here refers to our thoughts and our attitudes. We could say our our motivations, what gives direction to our lives. It's not merely an intellectual renewal that's included, but, but it's more than that. It includes our wills, our attitudes, our emotions. Now, how does the Holy Spirit do this work of transformation and renewal? Well, he always works through an instrument or a tool. And there is one instrument, one tool that the Holy Spirit uses. And it is the Word of God. The Spirit works through the Word to transform us and to renew us. And this is where the connection is between what the Spirit does and what we are called to do. We are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And this takes place through the Bible as it impacts our lives. When we hear the word preached, we welcome it immediately and with joy, recognizing that it is Christ himself addressing us. When we read and study the word for ourselves, we do likewise. The word contains the law which exposes our sin and our daily need for Christ. also shapes our thankful living. The Word contains the Gospel which proclaims Christ to us, which gives us comfort and peace and joy. The Word is what we need for daily conversion or repentance. Now, I used that expression earlier, and now you might be asking, what exactly is that, that daily conversion or repentance? Well, according to Scripture, repentance or conversion is not a one-time event, like regeneration or justification. Those are one-time events. But repentance or conversion is a process that takes place throughout the life of a believer. Believers have to constantly forsake their sin, constantly turn to Jesus Christ, looking to Him as the Israelites in the wilderness look to the bronze serpent. It's an ongoing process because all Christians struggle with the remnants of the old sinful nature. That's why scripture tells us in passages like Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, that our old nature, our old self has to be put off or put to death, has to be crucified. And this path of new life begins, continues, and ends with God's word. And especially the gospel. The gospel is what powers the Christian life and leads believers to live in a way that is increasingly holy and pleasing to our Heavenly Father. A life that conforms to the law of God. Daily conversion. Every day preaching the gospel to ourselves. And as we do that, constantly accepting it, resting and trusting in it. And as we do that 
we'll make sure that we never take the gospel for granted or that we begin to assume it. Instead, it will captivate us and lead us and transform us, renewing our minds. And so let's take this down to its essence. When it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, what is God saying to us? He's saying, be a living sacrifice of thankfulness. Well, that includes giving room for the Holy Spirit to continue working in your life through the Word of God. The Scriptures, which will constantly convert you. Which will constantly change your thinking about God, about yourself, about your sin, about everything else. The Scriptures, which will constantly point you to Christ, who is your life. And the way you give that room is by having your life supersaturated with the Word. Loved ones, young and old, you need to be reading and studying God's Word for yourself regularly. You need to be reading it and searching through it, not out of duty or obligation because this is what we have to do, but as if we were seeking for hidden treasures. And there's also the discipline of Scripture memorization that I want to commend to you again this morning. Colossians 3.16 encourages us to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Not meagerly, not just a little bit, but richly. And in Psalm 119, verse 11, the psalmist says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. How do you hide God's word in your heart? How do you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly? Well, memorization. And that takes time. That takes effort. That takes discipline. It's hard work. But if we're serious about being transformed by the Holy Spirit, we need to have the Word of God stored up in our minds. Those minds that need to be renewed. Now you can do this, you know, talking about the practical side of this, you can do this on your own without any sorts of helps. You can write out Scripture passages to memorize on index cards. Uh, make your own flashcards, something like that. But you can also go on the internet and you can Google scripture memorization. And there are all sorts of resources out there to, to help you with this. We encourage you to begin scripture memorization and to continue if you're already doing it. But reading and memorizing the Bible is useless if we don't also meditate on it. And by meditation, I simply mean thinking and reflecting throughout our day on what God says in His Word. A moment ago, I mentioned preaching the Gospel to ourselves. That's part of meditation. And it would look like look something like taking a passage like 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. 
Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. You take that passage and you you, you think about it. You, You fix your thoughts on it. And so we have that personal study, that reading, memorization, meditation. It should be obvious, but you also need to be in church. And to be in church as often as you can, whenever you can, and paying attention to the Word as it's preached to you. And you need to be opening the Scriptures with your families and your friends, letting the Word shape you and shape your relationships in those contexts as well. And in all of this, we need to be praying for the Holy Spirit to do His work of transformation and renewal. Before you read, before you study, before you memorize the Scriptures, pray for the Spirit to work. Pray for Him to challenge you with the law, to encourage you with the Gospel. Before you come to church and listen to the preaching, pray about it. Ask the Spirit to give you a humble and teachable attitude. Ask the Spirit to also fill the minister so that the word that is preached would truly be the word of Christ. Pray for the Spirit's help when you do your family worship or your family devotions each day. The Spirit will not work without the word. But the Word is of no value without the work of the Spirit. And that's why we need to pray, and pray continuously, for His help. But what if we stumble? What if we, what if we fail in any of this? Does that mean that we're lesser? Does it mean that we won't measure up for God? That He'll love us less? Not at all. Brothers and sisters, please listen carefully. His love for us is based entirely on the fact that we are one with Jesus Christ through faith and through the Spirit who lives in us. Christ's righteousness, His perfect obedience, His 33 years of law-keeping, that belongs entirely to us. We are right with God through Him. And every day His blood cleanses us from all sin. God's grace, His unmerited favor, is never conditioned on our performance, but always on what Christ has done for us. What Christ did for us in our place. And having said that, however, if we want to move forward in holiness... We, we have to put these things into practice. The Holy Spirit does this work, but he, but he does it through the Word. That's how we grow. We grow through the Word. And if we keep the Word at a distance, the Spirit's transforming and renewing work will stall. But if we are committed to keeping the Word close, even if we fail or struggle here or there, the Spirit will do His work, and we will grow. This transforming and renewing work of the Spirit results in being able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We find those words at the end of verse 2. 
Now, it says in our translation, test and approve. And as such, there's nothing wrong with that translation, but it is a little unclear as to what it actually means. The word could also be translated as interpret or discern. And I think discern is probably best. Then you will be able to discern what God's will is. But then the next issue that comes up is, what does Paul mean here with God's will? Because there are two ways that the Bible speaks about God's will. First, there is God's secret will, what some call his decorative will. God wills that something will happen, and it happens. And in that case, we only know God's will, what it was after the fact. Well, that's not what's in view here with Romans 12, verse 2. And the other way that Scripture speaks about God's will is with regards to His revealed will. Or you could say His commanding will. Or preceptive will. God's Word says that certain things must be done and other things must not be done. That's what's in view here. God's revealed will. What is good, pleasing, and perfect in God's sight is no secret. It has been revealed to us in Scripture. And so we are to be living sacrifices by having the Spirit continue to transform us by the Word. And as that process happens, we grow in being able to discern what God wants for our lives from His Word. And here we're speaking about the law of God as the the guide for our thankful living. As we're being renewed, as our new nature comes to life, we, we love and delight to live according to the will of God in all good works. We discern that will of God in His law. And we grow in our understanding of how God would have us live. We grow in maturity. We grow in grace and knowledge. We grow in Christ-likeness, more and more reflecting His image. I think that's what we want, isn't it? We want to grow up into Christ. Now, there is a danger with passages like this one that focus attention on sanctification, on growth in the Christian life. And the danger is that we forget so easily everything in the first 11 chapters of Romans. It's all too easy to gloss over those five words in view of God's mercy and forget about all the gospel that's packed into them. Then we just come to this passage and we read these commands and we we go our way, go about trying to do our duty. Loved ones, if we take that approach... I guarantee that eventually we'll become frustrated, if not depressed, and burnt out. Why? Because you can't even begin or continue to live a Christian life without the gospel. You need to have in view God's mercies. You need Christ every day. You need the gospel every day, for it's the gospel that gives life. And let me encourage you then to reflect every day on these truths, saying it something like this. 
In His grace, God saved me from the wrath my sin had earned. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life in my place. He suffered and died on the cross, facing the wrath of God which I should have faced eternally. The blood of the Son of God has reconciled me to my Creator. He rose from the dead for me. Today He sits at God's right hand for my benefit. Through Jesus, my judge has become my Father. These are the gospel mercies for me. What a God! What an amazing love He has for me! I love Him so much. And I want to thank Him and dedicate my life to Him. I want to be holy and pleasing. I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind through the Spirit and the Word. I want to discern God's will. I want to grow in godliness and holiness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you from the bottom of our hearts for the gospel mercies in Jesus Christ. We are deeply grateful for your amazing love in him, for the fact that you have become our father in Christ. We praise you that we can know that there is no condemnation for those who are in him, for us. Father, help us to again accept those truths. Help us to rest and trust in Christ alone, not only today, but every day of our lives. We pray for the help of your Spirit so that we can offer ourselves as living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to you. We pray that through your Spirit and Word, you would continue to transform us, that you would continue to renew us. We ask for more grace, so that we can discern your will and live in holiness, pleasing you, our Father. Oh God, we, we are so helpless of ourselves. We are nothing, and our works are nothing. But you are all-powerful. You are all-loving. And so our eyes again look to you for grace. Hear us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.